Welcome to The Unfiltered Mom. I'm Elizabeth Lewis, and alongside some of my dearest friends, we've created the show so women have a space to have unfiltered, extremely raw, and insanely real conversations. Nothing is off limits here. This space is for moms who want to talk about everything, to dive into conversations we all deeply desire to have, but fear what others may think of us. This is your invitation to pull up a seat in a judgment-free zone and have a little heart-to-heart. Now, let's get unfiltered. This is a Soul Fire production. Why is it so hard for women to put themselves first? Well, society wasn't set up for women to prioritize themselves. Brooke said it so well. Prioritizing ourselves was never the priority. For many of us, it feels wrong and makes us feel incredibly guilty which in my opinion is complete bullshit. In this episode, we're digging into it all, where it comes in not only from the perspective of a therapist, but also as a woman. Pinch our main coming in with what we carry from generations before us, not to mention the idea of not trusting our partners enough to go out and put ourselves first. If you're struggling with this, tune in. We're here for you. Welcome to the Unfiltered Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lewis, and I am here with Brooke, Charmaine, and Kanisha. And today we're going to talk about prioritizing yourself or, gosh, I hate to say self-care. We were talking about this earlier, how self-care is so overused, so cliche, so lumped into all of these things and just kind of you know, sitting here with you and having this conversation about really putting yourself first in order to take care of other people. Because in the conversation we had prior to this is, you know, what were you saying, Charmaine, that maybe generations before or? Right. So I'm a woman of a certain age. So generations prior to, let's say the sixties, those women did not have the opportunity that we have as women, as moms, just as human beings in general, you couldn't have a checking or savings account. You know, you, your husband, you had to have a man to have property for you or anything like that. And God forbid you tried to put money aside that your husband didn't know about so that you could possibly get away. Because I've talked to women of that era, the bank would let the husband know and the husband would come and get the money and still whoop that ass. So yes, yes. 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 And yes, I have talked to women and they're like, you know, I tried to get away, but the bank caught like there's no other there were no other banks like you know we can go online we can do all these other things they couldn't and so you're trying to build this fund to take you and your kids because you know you're in this crappy situation and the bank calls the husband so for women and I'm speaking from like my space even though this wasn't my mom's experience I had my grandmother where that wasn't necessarily her experience but she was you know married and had 10 kids I'm pretty sure not necessarily all the way by choice, but I think because some of us came from these generational icks that it's ingrained in us to do all the things that we have to clean the kids, take them here, take them there while the husband gets to come home, have a beer and chill out. When today it's so much different for many of us, not all of us are at home all day. And even if you are, that doesn't mean that you have to do all the things. And because it's just been ingrained for women to hold down the fort while the men went out, I think that's just the overplay that, you know, we were even talking about how men are treated differently when they take their kids out too, right? You know, and how women view 
their own selves as being a priority because for so long, us being the priority was never the priority. It was everybody else's expectations and everything else that we had to do. So when you say make yourself a priority, you know, if a woman was raised in a space where girl, you better take care of your man. You know, ooh, what you going out of town for? You know, you need to take care of that man and them kids. You know, how dare you do that? Because you got to take care of them kids first. When you have a woman that's still getting those messages today based on the programming that her mother and women before her had, yeah, the thought of prioritizing herself is scary. It feels wrong. It feels selfish. She feels guilty. And then she doesn't do it. And it's just this kind of perpetual cycle. And it's like my soul weeps because they're like, you'll go, oh my God, it's 2023. Like every woman should know you really don't need a man. Like you don't like, he doesn't need to go kill the food. He doesn't have to go build the (laughs) fire. Uh, Like, you know, so this whole thing of provide, profess and protect to me is outdated because I don't need you to provide for me. I know how to shoot a gun. So I sure as shit don't need you to protect me. And yeah, you could profess your love to me, but I would prefer you did it in washing the dishes and cleaning up the bathroom. Like, I don't need you to tell me over and over again. Like, so I think some of those are so dated, but we're living by so many of these paradigms that no longer fit us. Not just take it left field. <laughs> no, I, I, I know you didn't because it's interesting because I'm even trying to think back to my own childhood, right? I think my mom had so many mental health issues that I didn't ever recognize her self-sacrificing or her sacrificing for me and my sister because she had so many mental health issues. So it always felt like I didn't get those messages. So even growing up, the, you know, as we were talking about, I really self-sacrificed because I was a teen mom thinking that I had to do that to prove that I was worthy. But where did you get those messages from? Even if you didn't get them from her, it's society for sure. Exactly. It's subliminally placed in there. And it's like my mom, even though she didn't need my dad, she still came home from work. She did all the things because my dad had an addiction. She still did Mm. all the things. He would be home all day and she would still come home, make sure dinner was ready, like do all this stuff and hold down the house. So the message I got was hold down everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I guess that would kind of go into it where I felt it was more like a feeling that I had that I had to do because I had to step in and help with my sister. And, you know, I had to grow up really quickly, obviously, when I had a baby. So, you know, kind of thinking back to that, I do think, you know, especially dealing with so many women within Detroit Mom, I know when we always try to have this conversation in particular, Women are like, nobody has time for that. Women can't take care of themselves or go away for a weekend or, you know, it seems like too something I've noticed women go out and their husbands are calling them all all evening and like the baby won't sleep or this is the situation or it's like, if that was me and that was always happening, I was like, shit, at this point, why should I even try to go out? Because my spouse or my partner is always going to call me or, you know, I really notice a lot of people get on this kick of like, oh, well, you know, understanding the difference between needs. And like actually putting yourself first, like you need to take a shower, you need to eat, you need to drink water. Those aren't like prioritizing yourself, I guess, in my mind. But I know everybody feels so different. Like my mental health and the way I 
go out into the world that doesn't revolve around my children is me putting myself first so that I can be the best version for them and for my husband and everybody else around me. Because I'm not a good leader when I'm not prioritizing myself. I'm not a good friend. I'm not a good spouse. You know, like all of these things, I'm just not a good anything when I'm burnt out. And to me, when you're not prioritizing yourself, it leads to burnout, like severe burnout because you're doing all these things. And also it goes back to in the household when we're not asking our spouse or our partner to support us or help us, we're also putting that on ourselves. But going back to what you said, all these messages that we receive. So I'm curious, Brooke and Kanisha, kind of what is your take when it comes to this whole topic surrounding self-care? I mean, I think it's an overused term, right? Like you you immediately roll your eyes when you hear about that because it gets put in a box where it's like, you go get your nails done or you go get coffee with a friend and, and maybe that works for some people and that's rejuvenating, but it's so much more than that. And I think we all sell ourselves short when we just keep it at that those surface level things because yeah. you don't have to ask like... I feel like even those little tiny things, even back to showering, if somebody thinks that that's self-care or eating a meal, women are asking to do it, right? Like you're having to ask your partner, hey, like I'm, I'm going to go, sorry, can I like take a shower real quick? What, what? Why are we asking to do those things? Or hey, can I do this? Can I do that? Instead of approaching a situation, which in my experience, men typically do of, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm yeah. doing. This is where I'm going. Yep. This is what's happening. Yep. And it's just kind of nobody has to explain anything. It's just this is what I'm doing. So we're going to have to schedule around it. And women, yeah. it's a much more humble approach and it's an ask. It's not a this is what I need. This is what I'm doing. And inside, you're like secretly dying and then building resentment towards that other person because you're just like, I want this so badly. And inside, like you can feel it so deeply, but you, just don't ask for it. You don't use your throat chakra. Yeah. And when you ask for it, you're also giving the opportunity for a no. Yeah. Because what's the worst that can happen when you ask the question? Someone says no. Yep. I can't do it. But when you say, hey, this is what I'm doing, or this is really important to me, or I'm burnt out and I'm going away next weekend, it's stating that need and allowing your partner or the support people in your life if you don't have a partner to help you out and step in. Yeah. Kanisha, do you have a take on this one? For so long, gosh, it's only been a couple of years that I've even had thoughts of prioritizing myself because I was always putting everyone else first, like every single person was coming first before me. And it took me having a mental breakdown to really put into perspective that I needed to do something about it. And I had to make time for myself. And that looks different for everyone, right? Brooke, like you were saying, like some folks, it's going their nails done or their hair done or whatever. Um, For me, I have to be alone for a little bit (laughs) Mm -hmm. to like just take time of quiet. For me, I love my job. So sometimes my self-care is like going to a conference or something because I get to go and hang out with folks for a couple of days and I'm an extrovert. So sometimes people, you know, get me happy, but I don't have to worry about anyone at home for those couple of days. Like most of the time, (laughs) sometimes I, sometimes you get that text message still. Right. And when I finally realized that I had to you know, take this time for myself, like it was actually very much supported by my partner. 
because I was just like biting everyone's head off and yelling at everyone all the time and just like not in a good place, depressed for some part, like some points, just wanted to like sleep all the time, even though sleep is one of my priorities. Like if I don't get enough sleep, I'm very grumpy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But just like taking time to do those. And then I'm not religious, but like growing in my spirituality and learning more about that side of me. Like I like meditation and really getting into that. So, you know, the last year or so, just taking time with you, Elizabeth, through Retreat to Reclaim has completely turned my life around since going to the first retreat and having time to be able to be in those spaces several times a year to just know that today I'm working on me. Today I'm prioritizing myself and it's going to be hard as hell. And we're going to have really hard conversations, but I'm going to break down some barriers. And I know that I'll be able to be a better person when I walk away after taking that time for myself. And that looks like too, like I have therapy ongoing. And, and for me, it's medication too, like different levels of things for my mental health, but reading and journaling and binge watching sometimes too. I love to watch a whole season of Netflix in one night. <laughs> like that's <laughs> like, but when I didn't do that, I was a completely different person. Like I wasn't myself or the self that I feel that I am now, but I'm still growing too. Like I know I could be more. I love what you said, Kanisha, though, because it sounds like you went on this journey to really discover what filled you up, like what you actually needed. And maybe it was different in different seasons of life. And I think as women, we sell ourselves short because we don't know what it looks like for us. So we go to those typical things that society tells us of like getting your nails done or taking a 15-minute shower or whatever it is because we have no idea what we actually need. And that's a good point to both of you because it's this journey and you're not going to find the thing on the first try. You're going to have to try some things on. You're going to have to be willing to take the journey and you're going to have to, like Elizabeth say, use that throat chakra and go, <laughs> hey, this is what I'm doing. And like y'all figure it out. Like you, Kanisha, I discovered that like in my head, my husband was like the meanest and blah, 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 blah. But then when I told him, he was like, babe, I've been wanting you to do this. And it's like, what? Yeah. He's like, go ahead. And so what I've discovered is that the men in our life do want us to take these breaks. Now, here's the caveat. And with any human, and I don't think it's intentional, if you're willing to burn yourself the fuck out, the people around you will let you do that. Not because they don't love you, but because it serves them at the time. And there is zero boundary. And there's no boundary there. So people will allow you to do it. So you can't blame your family for seeing that you have been in pain for years and they didn't stop you. It's just, it's the way things have been going. It's the system that you set up, you know, for Mm -hmm. yourself and for your family. So that's the system they're used to. And they're figuring, well, hell, she's good. I'm good. Right. So that whole thing. And then acting more like a man in the space of men do not ask for permission. Like you said you know, they don't ask for permission. They go, this is what I'm doing. This is what I need. This is when I'll be here. This is when I'll be gone. And then poof, it happens. And we all kind of bend and, and melt to whatever it is they do. And so, yeah, this is the journey is so important and not expecting the first thing you try to be like magical grail of you prioritizing yourself. 
I do want to say it because something that I was thinking about, Kanisha, when you said it, like I have spent majority of my life taking care of other people and it's not necessarily for me. I don't even know if I exactly knew what self like taking care of myself looked like because I had been taking care of everybody else for my entire life that I don't even know if I knew because I had a baby when I was 16. Like, I don't even know if I, I don't even remember being a child. And so when I really look back, I'm like, kind of probably the breaking point for me was 100% my parents' death. Like that was, that was the turning point in my life. But I picked up back up with old habits because, you know, it's, I had another baby at this point. So I have four kids both my parents are gone. So we have no support system. So I'm back in this place of, you know, putting everybody else first. And then it wasn't until, you know, I went through something really tragic with my dad's dog, which was the last living piece of my dad. It was like the turning point of like, whoa, like, I think it was for me, life is so short. And it was this, I have to take care of myself because one, I don't want to die in my sixties. I don't want to be broke down, decrepit, all these mm-hmm. things because I didn't take care of myself. I don't want to miss out on my kid's life. I don't want to be angry, bitter. You know, I watched both of my parents like just really be in the space of, you know, they didn't have much. They they didn't spend their money wisely. They didn't take care of their health. You know, my dad, my husband and I were talking about this the other day. Like I can guarantee you that my dad was probably coughing the way that he did. Probably maybe like a year and a half. And I said to my husband, I remember saying to my husband, what if we would have said to him, Hey, you need to go get that cough checked out. Instead of him always saying like, no, I'm fine. They said, it's fine. Like, it's not a big deal. Like he had never gone to the doctor. He would still be here because you can catch lung cancer in its early stages. And so I think that part of me, when it comes to self-care for me now is like, I know what it feels like to walk through and watch someone die such a horrible death. Like my dad's death, the six months that I slowly watched him die was probably like one of the worst things I've ever experienced. And for me in that moment, in those moments, I was like, I don't want to be this person that, you know, because look at, you can probably look at women, older women that have spent their whole lives living for other people and not prioritizing themselves. And they look broken and they look old and they just have this loss, this zest and this joy and this they love for life. Yeah, they do. And, you know, I hear it from friends of mine who say their moms, their moms say to them, well, when I was your age, I was at home raising babies. I wasn't going on trips and I wasn't doing this. And, you know, giving this, this sense of like, well, if you're not at home with your kids and taking care of them every single day and devoting your life to them, that you're not a good parent. And that could be furthest from the truth, right? Like I think, you know, and I hear it running all of the businesses that I do that are centered around women. I hear it all the time. I don't have time for that. Yeah. You know, I really desire to do that or put myself first, even simple things like therapy, right? Like going to therapy. Women don't have time for that. They don't have time to go and spend an hour speaking to someone else, devoting their time or getting coffee with a girlfriend or things like that. And also it goes back to us overscheduling, overdoing all of these things for our kids. Because even today, I, I want to show us, we went for a hike earlier and my kids were outside just exploring and, you know, digging it, getting their hands dirty in the dirt. And I had this moment where I was like, we've taken the childhood right out of our kids, like this sense of exploration and 
fun and things like that because we overschedule them with sports and school stuff and all the stuff thinking that that's what it looks like to be a child. And really when I was outside, I was like, gosh, this is what it's like to live, to like fully being immersed and happy and connected. Really that, that feeling of like being connected came out was like, we do this sometimes to ourselves, overscheduling our kids, overscheduling ourselves, saying yes to everything. And then how can we prioritize ourselves? You know, so it's just like this circle of events that lead to this overall burnout. I think the first place that I started was there's this book by Danielle Laporte called The Desire Map. And at first it felt hokey because she's talking about feelings. I'm like, who in the fuck got time for feelings? I have all this stuff to do, (laughs) whatever. And as you get into the book, like it's the shortest read ever. Have you guys read it? No, I I haven't read that one. Nope. So it's beautiful. The first part of the book is her like going over the process, but the second part is a workbook. So while you get to take action on the stuff that she's talking about in the same book, so like you can underline, like you can connect everything in one place, anywho. And so I got really clear on what she calls core desired feelings, which could be called values. It could be called just whatever. And once I started getting clear on how I wanted parts of my life to feel, I started canceling shit. I had two kids that were on the spectrum. No lie. We were in like three therapies a week. Plus they were in school. Plus I think I was like, it was crazy. I snatched out all the therapies except for one. We're going to try this. We're going to do this one. And doctors will try to dry guilt you like, oh my gosh, I have parents that do. That's great. You have parents that do this. But what we're going to do is this one thing. And I started to break things down into like the simplest common denominator. And I did a lot of things where, like you said, Elizabeth, it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, if you were a good mom or when I was a mom, I did this. I got flack over getting a nanny because like, how dare you pay someone else to watch your kids? Like my mom gave me hella flack on nanny, but I had to, I absolutely had to because I was two steps. Like every weekend I would be in the shower contemplating how much money did I have in my savings account and how long could I go with like leaving my husband and my kids. I would tell my husband, if we get divorced, you've got the kids. I will pay you child support. I will like, what do you want? And he thought I was joking. Dude, I'm not joking. I'm like, if we get a divorce, like I'm willing to divorce you so I can leave you. (laughs) And it's not that he was a bad guy. It's just that I was burned out and I was doing all the things and I had set myself up for failure by doing all the things because you can't do all the things by yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. At the depths of, I remember at my postpartum depression, because I didn't have postpartum depression with any kids except my fourth, because obviously in one whole year, I lost both my parents, a friend and had a baby. And so I didn't deal with any of it. And I remember what you just said. I remember standing in the shower one day, she was crying And I was like, I just want to get in the car and just drive and drive and drive and drive and never come back. Yep. And it's that moment where you just recognize you're like, I cannot continue on like this and do this in this space. Like I just, I can't. And I think this is where you hear this all the time. You know, it's interesting. We hosted our day retreat yesterday for a treat to reclaim. And there were 22 women there. And the common denominator was like this burnt out, this 
lack of prioritizing ourselves, but they were there. Like that's a huge step, right? You spent 10 hours prioritizing yourself, but that's only 22 women. And there are umpteen amounts of women that reach out on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, wanting to prioritize themselves or work on themselves. And they just, either their husbands think it's crazy. Well, why do you got to go do something like that? Or talk about your, you know, tell me how you feel or things like that. But like, (laughs) your partner loves you guys, but they just don't get it. Like there's like a whole different level to being a woman in society today and the pressures and all of that stuff. So I just, oh, when you said that, I actually, I probably disassociated from that moment. It wasn't until you just said it that I actually remembered it, that I did feel like I just wanted to leave and just be gone. It's so rare that you hear women who express that they enjoy their lives, like fully, right? Like not, I enjoy my kids or I enjoy my spouse, but that they actually love their lives and they don't want to escape them or they don't want to change this major facet of it. And I don't know where this narrative came up that we cannot enjoy our lives. If we do, then we're not a good mom, then we're not a good spouse, then we're not a good daughter, then we're not a good friend or whatever it looks like because we have to be overexerting ourselves at all times in every relationship, giving every ounce of ourselves to other people and other things. And of course, we all want to leave it. Like, <laughs> Of course, we all fantasize in the shower yeah. about driving away. Of course, there are memes about you know, vacation in a padded room sounds great. Or, you know, if I just throw myself down these stairs, a hospital stay sounds like a vacation. Like that, that's a joke, right? That's on social media. And that should be very But it came from somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, of course, you know, as a therapist, people don't really like come to me if their lives are really great. So I don't think I'm going to be, I don't have access to those stories anyway. But just the people in my life, like my friends and family members, I don't hear anyone that's just like, yeah, I just, I really love my life. It's so great. They always say, I really love my kids. Yeah, I really love my spouse or I really love my job, but it's not like all encompassing where they've found the things that they connect with, whether it's nature or cooking or things they enjoy or hobbies or I don't know, acting like a kid again and swinging in the park. Like you just don't hear women talk about those things. Gosh, this is so, I'm actually so glad you said that because I feel like I do. Like I I will say this. I want to, I have coffee with someone the other day. And we just met for the first time and she texts me after she was like, oh my gosh, it was so great to get together, blah, 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 all that stuff. And she gets to the end in the bottom paragraph. She says, my favorite moment of the chat of our chat today, when you sat up so straight and said, I'm so excited when I wake up every morning, I am excited. I love my life. Like when I say I love my life, I love my life, but I had to create this life, Yeah, this life that I live right now. The one where I'm excited to get up, I'm grateful. Like for me, it's that every morning I wake up, that gratitude to take another breath and be alive and to do the things that I want to do, not the things that other people think I should do or what society deems acceptable or, you know, things like that. Like making the decision to, to travel with my family next year. I have never been more certain, but I will tell you every person and their mother is like, do you think that's good for your kids? Do you think this? Like I have never been more sure. I do. I believe it is the best thing for my kids and I am, I am ready for it. And so like when you say that, like 
Yeah. I honestly can't think of a ton of people that I know that are like, yeah, I love my life. Like I am so happy to be alive and to be here and doing the things that I want. But that also has been really like a year and a half that that has really come to fruition. And it's more because my husband's also doing the work, right? I'm doing the work. My husband's doing the work. Our kids are witnessing it. My staff, my team, all of the people around me are witnessing it, which allows me, I feel like, to create better boundaries and really put out there what I want. So it is very interesting to hear you say that statement, you know, Brooke. And I I think you sharing that too, it gives people permission to stop and think about the things that they do love and to verbalize that. I think we're kind of conditioned to get together and talk about the hard stuff, you know, and it's so very rare that we sit around and talk about all the good things. You know, as you're talking about that, I'm realizing like in my own life, I had to have a hard reset in order to start enjoying it. Like I had to get rid of everything and it came through a maternity leave, right? Like I, but I had to say yes to that, to stop working for three months, to not have anything in, on my calendar except to snuggle a baby, to really shift my thinking about what I wanted to add back in. And to start saying, you know, I think my husband and I started saying yes to a lot more things that we would have never said yes to years ago, just because we were like, why not? We want to build a house. So we're building a house. Like, why not? But years ago, yeah. That's exciting. Congrats. And, you know, thank you. And even the things in our house where I'm like, I don't know, should we do that? He's like, hell yeah, we should do that. And then we do it. I'm like, okay, yeah. And just different shifts that we've created in our family. I think that like goodness attracts goodness, right? And when you're looking for things and when you're saying the yeses, those things will start to snowball. And that's not to say that our life is perfect or my life is perfect or I don't have hardships or moments in the shower still. And I am much more in tune with my life, in tune with myself and what I need and way more open to yeses than I ever have been which is ironic because I now have more children than I ever have too. So it it is, you know, but it is possible. Yeah. I'm thinking about like, I'm I'm sure there's some other women out there too. Like I love where y'all are saying that you're at, but like I still struggle with these blocks, like these blocks of doubt, these blocks of feeling like I'm being judged for going on work conferences in a year or whatever it may be, right? Doing, wanting to do more things for myself. Like I'm like, yes, yes, yes. In the moment, let's do it. But then I'm like, feel guilty. Like when it starts to get closer and I feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do all these things before I go because I just want to make sure that there's food in the house or texting. Like, do you need me to DoorDash or something? Like all of those things that I know, I know I'm but I'm sure I'm not a lot. I know. What? I know. I did it yesterday, Elizabeth. I was like, are you guys hungry? Do you want me to do it? I know. <laughs> okay. Kanisha. I know. But I, I know I'm not alone in this, but like I'm trying. But you're not. <laughs> so I used to be that way. I went on a whole conference and the entire conference I was calling my husband, making sure like I created this schedule for him before we went, before I went. This was a couple of years ago. Now, when I just left for my weekend out, I didn't order groceries. I said, you're an adult. Like you guys can figure it. Like he's like, yeah, I got this. They have it. 
Yeah. And I know where you're at, Kanisha, because I've been there. When you're first just starting to let things go, it feels super scary because a part of your identity is wrapped up in making sure that everybody is okay. Yeah. And so then when you begin to detach from that, it's scary as fuck because who am I if I'm not the girl that orders the food? Like who I had to resolve and going, who am I if I'm not the one that's cooking dinner if it's my husband? Like who, like, you know, I had become so attached to this persona of being the person that cooked dinner, being the person that ordered groceries, being the person that picked up the groceries. Like I had become so attached to this thing that was killing me and draining me that it's, it was almost like an addiction for me. Mm. Right. You know, it was like, and now that I say that it's so funny because it got worse after I stopped drinking because I had nothing else. So I had to, <laughs> I got really attached to my family. So I get where you're coming from. And I don't want you to beat yourself up in this piece because this is a part of your process. Yeah. And eventually you'll get to this space where you're like, okay, I'm leaving. And everybody's like, okay, bye. And you'll be like, wait a minute. Nobody, like, nobody. It's cool. Control, like though. It's, yeah. I mean, we all crave that control. And when we feel like we're in those roles and we almost have pride in it, right? Like if you can get it all done and you can go to a conference and your family's fed and the laundry's perfectly folded and put away, like you just feel like on top of the world. In reality, you're burnt out and you're exhausted. And will you even be able to enjoy where you're at fully and be present? I don't know. But we, we want control in the chaos and we feel like it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, if it's not alcohol, if it's not anything else, it's it's control and it's doing all the things. It's a way to to numb, right? It's a way to not feel things because we're so busy, we can't. We can't think about that things. Part. We can't feel things if we're so busy. Don't you guys also think, okay, so maybe I'm on the other side. I res- I can understand and I I want to Obviously, I feel like there are more women that are going to listen to this that are going to feel like you, Kanisha. There are going to be far more women. Probably 99% of the women listening are going to feel that way. I will be fully transparent and say, I have never left my husband a list. I have never door dashed him a darn thing. I have never told him how to raise our children. I've never any of these things. And I'll tell you why. The minute we start doing that, we make them feel like they are incapable of doing it. And they're like, well, she does it anyways. Why should I do it? Why should I step into it? And also when women are leaving lists for their husbands, you literally are telling them, I don't trust you with our own children. I don't trust you to be here with our kids that you're going to figure it out that you know how to take care of our children. But what if they don't? And what if that's valid? Then what the heck did you have children with them for? For me, it was part that Elizabeth. But the other part is, no, I didn't trust anybody. Because I was with, like, my husband was in the military. So he wasn't there anyway, six to eight months out of a year. Now, although he was the oldest child, he knew how to take care of babies. That's not the point. He didn't know how to, so like you said, Brooke, it was control. He didn't know how to take care of the babies the way I wanted the babies to be taken care of. So I created lists and things because it was a point of control for me. I want you to do it how I want it to be done because this is what I like. And I'm going to be honest, because you're not here anyway, then this is my show and this is how I want it ran. So that was my point of creating lists. It wasn't because, I mean, I guess it was kind of because I thought he was incapable, but I had such control over all of these things because I too grew up taking like our, so our experiences were the same with us being the caretakers because I was the oldest, but this whole thing with control, you know, when it 
when Brooke talked, when it comes to like the addiction piece for me, this whole piece of control for me was huge because I never felt safe. So the eating disorder was a piece of control. The alcohol was a piece of control. And then I get married and I'm given this, it was almost like dictator. I'm given this full carte blanche over telling other people what to do. But again, it was something that was killing me. And so I had to heal what was causing me to want to control all the stuff. And I, I feel like for some women, maybe not all that, that part of wanting to do that is there's something that's underneath all of that, that's causing you to want to control all the things. Hmm. So, okay. So, so my question then is, Okay, let me reverse. I'm wrapping my head around this this concept here. Okay, yeah. this is really hard. This is really hard for me, mm. and I don't want people to just be like, "You bitch!" Like, how no, you're not dare? At all. Like, it's not at all. But I really, I really don't like. I cannot fathom being with a man. You know, obviously, I'm not with my 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 first child is not my husband's. She, she's 22 years old. Like my husband and I haven't been together that long. We can all do the math. We've been together 16 years, and he was he was just horrible, but he could still take care of her, right? He still knew how to take care of her. And moving into like this concept of, I know Brooke, you just said like, well, what if they really can't like, please tell me first, if they really can't, that you have only had one child with them because I can't wrap my head around. I just, no part of me can wrap my head around having multiple children with somebody. If the first child I had with him, a man could not take care or help me take care of a child. It's so complex. I get where you're coming from. I want to understand this. So it's not wrong. Let me say something from my own life, right? I grew up in a very controlling home. Like my stepdad was awful. Like he just was a presence in the house. Like there was just a thickness. Like I don't even know how else to describe it. It was just a lot. He was very controlling, very emotionally abusive. That's my stepdad. No longer my stepdad. My mom's not married to him anymore. And I have a very capable partner. I have a very capable partner. He's amazing. He's wonderful. I love him dearly. And that control piece and that safety that you were talking about, Charmaine, kind of came up for me in my home environment because I couldn't control my home environment when I was a kid. I was in every after school activity known to man because I had to get out of the house. I didn't want to be at home. And so I wanted to create this home and this felt safety. And to do that, I had to have my hands on everything, everything. control how it looked, how it ran, how the dishes were in the dishwasher. And it, you know, we all chop it up to, oh, yeah, you're type A. No, it was a way for me to try to create safety. And in that, I was taking things away from my spouse that he was perfectly capable of doing. He was perfect. Like, he's capable of raising our kids and being with them. I mean, honestly, like, I feel like he does better when I'm out of the picture. Sometimes, like, I come home and the house is more spotless and the kids are fed and they're not acting crazy. So, there's just so many layers to it and it's it's all about that self-exploration and kind of stepping away and starting to see like why am I holding on to these things? Why do yeah. I care so much? Is it really about my partner or is it more about me? Mm. I think that's the part. Like that that part I can understand. That part I can wrap my head around. It's the okay, so you're capable is like they're two different things. Not like you married a man and he's like not capable of taking care of your kids. It's more of a you thing versus them. Correct. That's where, yeah. okay. That I just want a clarification on that. Cause I'm like, okay, 
if they cannot take care of them, why are we having more children with them? But like, it's the it's the family dynamic. It's how you're playing out like childhood and traumatic experiences. And for yeah, other yeah. people, they might marry somebody who is not capable and they only know a caregiver role and that's where they feel comfortable. And so they put themselves in a marriage where they are overexerting themselves in that caregiver role because that's just what they're used to. They don't know and how do we change way. that? How does that change? Self-exploration. How do we support to a yeah. woman that's listening right now? Who's like, this is me. They're describing me to a T. Therapy. Yeah. Self-exploration. Yeah. Yep. Therapy. Yeah. For me. Okay. But <laughs> introspection. Yeah. EFT tapping. But start off with the desire map. I would say for anybody who's like, I don't know where to start. I think the desire map is QuickBook. Well, to me, it's a QuickBook. I'm a book nerd. But it's not like 500 pages like Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within or something like that. But it's really like the, the first part of the book is a pretty quick read. I think like a hundred and some odd pages. And then you have the workbook in the back where you can start to take the space, you know, where you can or get it in an audio book and just buy the book to fill out the workbook pieces as you go along. That and therapy. That mm-hmm. <laughs> therapy. Which I think this is, there's a part two to this because I know so many women have tried therapy yeah. that it's that like does dating. not work. Yeah, it's like it, it is. It is. One of my closest friends, like I have been with my therapist. I got very lucky and my relationship with my therapist going on six years strong. But I have a friend who's having a really hard time, like getting a therapist that she fights with and things like that. So like I, I totally get it. And I've heard of other folks too. Like they're like, I just don't gel with that person. I've tried a couple of times and they're like, after I've seen a couple of folks, like I'm done. I give up. I don't want to, I don't want to try to keep trying so to find exhausting. the person. Yeah. So I totally It get is exhausting. That. And I think there's also this piece to it. Okay. So this is what therapy became. I'll tell you, my therapist saved me during my postpartum days, but she gave me practical tools. I had tried other people. If I heard one more therapist say to me, tell me how that makes you feel or not give me <laughs> practical tools, yeah. I literally was going to pop my own head off. Like I could mm-hmm. not after trying. And I think this is where women are discouraged. I'm not looking to go into bitch to somebody once a month and pay you $160. I'm right. just not. I need tools and tips and like, all right, give me something. What can I work on this next week to get me? So I'm not so angry or feeling so depressed or all these things, you know, like what tools and like majority of women that I talk to are like, yeah, I just go in and tell my therapist my problems. And I was like, what does she do? And she's like, she just listens. And I'm like, okay, which I understand that there are some women that just need that. And also I think there are a lot of women who need advice and tools and guidance and things like that versus just having someone listen to you, bitch. There are stages for that because when I first started going back, I needed the bitch therapist, the one that I go bitch to. And then as I evolved out of that, it's like, okay, I've gotten all that off. I then went to a therapist that I knew would make me do the work that I may not like her after some sessions that, you know. Those are the best ones. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that you can't understand. (laughs) Yeah. There's somebody after some sessions, she was like, Mm -hmm. I still love you though. I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. see you in two weeks. (laughs) The problem it's me when it's like you, Mm -hmm. you really are that Taylor Swift song. Yeah. Like it's (laughs) actually not everybody else around you. It's you. Yeah. I I feel like the women here in this conversation will ask for what they need. You know, I I think a lot of people walk into therapy and they 
don't know how to ask for what they need. They don't feel comfortable giving feedback to the therapist. They don't feel comfortable saying, hey, this isn't working or I need more. And I mean, as a therapist, like, hi, we can't read minds. Like we can't. Like I say every time I meet a new client, I am not everyone's cup of tea. I'm not a person that's going to make you feel warm and fuzzy. Some people need that. My spouse has a therapist that is a little more coddling and it works for him, right? It would not work for me. And I'm not that type of therapist, but they have to tell me like, if I'm not it, I will help you find somebody who is. If you need more tools, if you want homework, tell me. If you don't like that and you just need a space to be heard, I can do that too. But we've got to have this open, honest, back and forth conversation and a lot of people are too uncomfortable or scared to have that. Wow. Can we have you write a guide to an honest guide to finding a therapist? Like Ooh. like legit, yeah, the honest Ooh. raw shit where it's not like this. You you ever read it on like taught like 10 ways to find a therapist? I'm like, no, it, this needs to be like let's really have this conversation on how to find a therapist because you know, I just quit EFT or EMDR because I was like Okay, I'm four sessions in and I'm sick of paying $160. That's almost $800 yeah. for like, I'm past this. I've done cut Like I am every session showing up. You're cutting me short at 50 minutes to plan my next session. And I don't feel like we're getting anywhere. And I know I'm reading Atomic Habits, guys. So I know good things take time. Like, <laughs> but I literally. You're also used to an immersive experience. You create yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah. so maybe the 50 minute model is not for you. Yeah. You there's like to go ayahuasca. I, there's I other models. Quick. More, you can go talk to a therapist I didn't, longer listen, than 15 no. minutes. I thought they're all an hour. Mm-mm. Traditional. Yeah. But there are other, like there are intensives. There are therapists oh. that do like weekend things similar to like oh, wow. retreat to reclate. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. There are but other I feel like, things. Brooke, this is the thing. I feel like every session up until the fourth when I quit, was having, not even up to the fourth, this was all the same, was having the same, con- like trying to figure out, like, I wish we could bypass all that, have a day where it's like, you, we get to the nitty gritty, what my problems are, and then we can move into the actual work. Cause I just, yeah, I didn't do well with EDMR either. It was just like, I didn't even get to it. I don't even know what it feels like. I don't even know what it's like. I didn't even get to that point. Okay, so I am EMDR trained and it is a lot. Ooh, can you more. practice on You're us? like watching my faces. <laughs> We're like, can you practice on us, please? I was gonna- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyway, mm-hmm. it is much more manualized. Like there is a system and a rhythm to it. There is a particular procedure. There takes prep work, right? And so maybe you did like short change it a little bit. I know. I just didn't I didn't get to it and I was like, listen. I could be in the jungles of Costa Rica, really digging deep here, puking my brains out, <laughs> letting all the demons out. <laughs> or I could just go get another ketamine injection and really learn a lot about myself. And so I think, but I am like the abnormal where I'm like, I need, I'm Scorpio rising. And if anyone knows what that is, I'm like, let's go deep quick as fast as we can. But once you, okay, there's phases. And once yeah. you get past the prep phases, you would experience that. Because okay, EMDR what is phase? faster than traditional talk therapy. But if it's a new therapist that you're seeing, they have to get your history. They have to figure out what the targets are, what the negative cognitions are that are tied to that. You've got to, you've got to, you can't just. How many sessions are we talking here? Like, okay, generally, I, was, I did four. the prep work, yeah. I mean, you should have, the next session generally would have been. Better go back, Liz. Getting into so it. So I need to schedule my appointment? Try it. 
I know. I just, I'm, I'm really, you guys, and I think it, I'm just really impatient as I'm reading Atomic Habits. I'm really recognizing that, but, um, Ricky Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. Have you ever seen Talladega Nights? <laughs> like probably years ago. I want to go fast. I want to go fast. If you're not first, you're last. <laughs> well, you know, we only live one life, guys. I can't be wasted about <laughs> Well, you only live one life in Maybe this body. Maybe didn't connect with your sure. therapist. I, you know, I really did enjoy her. Well, I did ask you if you're taking patients, but you're full. So I you am... already know a lot of my story. So we could just jump, jump on uh, to it. I can't do that. We no. have, that would be a dual relationship. That <laughs> yeah. is not I know. I know. I'm... Yeah. Maybe I need to. I will I, say as I, a therapist, yeah. like, I, I get it because it's also hard finding other therapists to have a referral network because you have to go based on other people's experiences, right? And mm-hmm. it, it's all by word of mouth. And a lot of women find therapists through their friends. And I think that's a perfect way to do that because then you know kind of what you're getting into and what kind of therapist that person is. But it's a lot about personality too. I mean, we're not all the same. And I'm, again, like not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. And I think that, you know, and that's when we talk about that coming back to the self-care piece about therapy, like maybe we even need to have a whole conversation on that because I think people just have this, I, you know, if you're listening to a friend and you go and have a bad experience, like I send to this day, my postpartum depression, her name's Joanne. She saved my life. I send every single person when one of my staff members comes to me and they're like, I'm, I'm struggling with this. You know, I'm depressed. I literally text Joanne and I say, I'm paying for two sessions for this person. The, the person goes, one of my staff members still sees Joanne to this day. And this is a year and a half ago, two years ago, I sent her there. And then her mom now goes and sees Joanne. Any any person that I come in contact with, like, go see Joanne, go see Joanne. Like, she's an affordable therapist. Her heart, like, I just love her so much. She's older. She gives tips. She calls you out. She's like, you know, my first session with her, I was like, God, you are so rude. But <laughs> she was just keeping it real. She was like, girl, how do you expect your husband to read your mind? She was basically like, does your husband read minds? Do you have one of those? And I was like, excuse me? Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she was just so real with me. And so even like a friend that I have, she sent to the hospital. She's like, you need to go now. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if she would have not gone to see her? Like all this stuff. Like I love her. Like I love her deeply, but I personally am past that point. Yeah. yeah. I I am not there. And I tell her all the time, I love you. I will send everybody your way, but like, I no longer need to go in. Like I, like you said, I like to go deep quick. Like, how can I get to that next level of my healing? Go to that. And this is where I think, yeah, (laughs) in the jungles of Costa Rica, that's where you're going to find me next, (laughs) which I do need to hold, do a whole episode on ketamine. Cause I get, I have so many people that ask me about it and I'm like, I had someone ask today and I was like, listen, it is literally, you have to be ready to do the work. Like it is not, you go in, it's like, oh, you're going to go have this experience. Like you have to do work. It was like, it has been one thing I wish somebody would have prepared me for is how much work comes with ketamine infusion. And nobody does. They're like, yeah, you can do this. Like you're going to get your injection. Then you're going to next day, you're going to go in and you're going to integrative therapy, but nobody prepares you for when it's done. When the ketamine's done, when the injections, when the integrative therapy, nobody prepares you for that piece. And it's like, which is originally why I went to go see the therapist is because all of this stuff came up 
during my ketamine experience. And I'm like, wow, nobody really prepares you and gives you tools for the aftermath of everything that comes up. And so now when I tell people about it, I'm like, it's not just you go in, it's a tool first. It's not a fix. It's not going to fix you. You just don't go in and it's like, boom, you're, you're healed. It's like, that's when the work really starts because the shit that you didn't even know was an issue is like all of a sudden like, oh, by the way, did you know your childhood's really fucked up? Oh, by the way, did you know you've never felt like you belonged anywhere? And you're over here like, oh my God, now what do I do? Like, it's just like this whole like pages and pages and pages of things that I learned about myself, but nobody was there to catch me after it was all done. So do you see, it's just like this whole process of those the reason probably retreat to reclaim has been birthed, why I do all the things that I do and why I do prioritize myself is because I just, you know, I see all the stuff my mom went through and I don't want to be, I loved her. She did the best she possibly could. I love you, mom. We have a better relationship in death, but she just didn't take care of herself. Like in any facet or there's just so many things. I just felt like I wasn't raised to know how to take care of myself. Oh, there's a good one, right? That would be me. Our parents, our mothers. Yeah. Yeah. I was not raised. Yeah. On how Nobody to take equips care. you. Nope. No. My childhood was very oh. similar to like Brooks. So lots of abuse and neglect. So I was the caretaker and I was not raised to take care of myself. And it showed I would get bullied for like some hygiene stuff and things like that that I didn't learn till later. And then I got married when I was 19 and that fixed it, right? No, (laughs) no, no. That just got me out of the house. And then I got to grow with Ben growing the last, you know, 16 years, 15 years with my husband, like still sometimes don't know how to take care of myself, but I'm learning. I'm learning. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I want every woman. I want every single woman here to take away listening to this is all of our stories are so different in here. You will see yourself in someone in this episode. And that's the thing I think when I say like for myself, the prioritizing and even, you know, this is probably even a good point for me to do a lot of self-reflection with my first child, but with my husband, like he's just always been so capable and just so amazing that I didn't, he has always, he has been my safe place. And so I haven't had, like he has created it. So I didn't feel like I had to control him and how he took care of our kids. Does that make sense? Like how all that stuff. So, you know, it's honestly listening to all of this is even great, great timing for me to do a little reflection just in general. But I, I just want women listening to this to take away the the biggest part of this is learning to prioritize yourself and understanding that it takes time. Like it takes, I turned 40 in a month. And it wasn't up until a year and a half ago that I really like, I mean, to the essence of like, not your typical, like go get a massage, self-care, you know, like all of that stuff, the more like internal work of who I am, who I came here to be, all of that stuff, right? Who I want to be in this life when someone goes to write my obituary and who I want them to write and say I was like that piece of me, that all of this takes time. And what works for some people might not work for other people. And that's why it's called a practice and all that stuff is learning really what works best for you. If you're not an outdoorsy person, I want, oh, I want to be transparent. I never was. I I was like, I don't want to go hang out in the dirt. 
let me tell you over COVID, that's the best thing it gave me. I was like, oh, you can find me planting my feet. I, if I was in nature and we were in like Costa Rica, I would be rubbing dirt all over me. Like, let me be one with the earth. Like now I'm just like, I love it. Like it is my place. It is like, but I learned about what nature does to the human body, what the sun does to us you know, like what the energy that the earth gives you, all that stuff was all something that I learned through my own journey of healing. And, you know, like if you're not someone who wants to pull cards, don't pull cards. If you don't like journaling, don't journal. This is not a dear diary stuff. Like I think people get wrapped up in that too, right? This doesn't have to be a dear diary. It could literally be just writing for fun. I fucking hate my husband. I'm so pissed or my partner, all this stuff, just even to give it a place and a space to live. Those journals are so wonderful. Oh my God. It doesn't, talking to a friend, if your form of self-care is doing that or prioritizing yourself is having that space to do that where it's every week or, you know, there's just so many different things or therapy or learning how to ask for support. That is self-care. Prioritizing yourself is asking for support or creating a support system. And I know a lot of people, I talk to you, you're probably listening. I talk to you all the time. You say you don't have one, then you create one. I didn't either. I don't have my parents here. I don't have any siblings here. My husband's parents aren't helpful. He doesn't really talk to his siblings. One lives in England. So like I had to create a support system in order to live the life that I want to live. So, and I also know there's a whole nother layer to trusting other people and things like that. So I also want to acknowledge and recognize that. But I think the biggest thing is to really listen to these stories and yeah, you're not going to agree with everything that's said. But pick something out of here, something actionable that you can take and make a little change and read Atomic Habits because your mind is going to be blown because mine for surely is. And like really going back to that I am statement, like has anyone, have you guys read it, Atomic Habits? No, I'm like writing it down. Let me just, (laughs) okay. It was like, it literally, I'm only on page 33, but here's like little bits of Some of the things, breakthrough moments are often the result of many previous actions, which build up to the potential to create major change. So you know how we live in a society that's like wants instant gratification? Like it's saying little things over time. All big things come from small beginnings. Yeah. Big hinge. Yeah. Little hinges swing big doors. That's what the coach says. Yeah. Mastery requires patience. Progress requires unlearning. Becoming the best version of yourself requires you to continuously edit your beliefs and to upgrade and expand your identity. Yeah, I love that. Goals. I know. I, I literally, that. I have taken so many notes. This is making me laugh because the whole time I'm thinking, go to the fifth session then, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's why this is ironic, bro. This is why I'm reading this to you is because... Like literally as a, even this goals are good for setting a direction. Systems are good for getting you there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Light bulb. All right, guys, we're going to leave you with that. And with that, we hope that you rate, review, and subscribe to the Unfiltered Mom. So all of your mom friends can listen and get all this goodness where it's all real and raw. And we're given all the goods in the most unfiltered way possible. We will see you next week. Bye.